Well, good morning, church. We are uh, in the midst of another series, so to say. We started about talking about loving God in the month of November and now loving others here in the month of December. And um, as we're getting started, um, there's something I, I was excited about this morning when um, Lupe got up to uh, give the announcements. He didn't know this. He didn't know what the sermon was on. He didn't know what to wear this morning. Nobody told him. And um, But I want you to see the shirt he's wearing. I'm sort of talking about this today. And so we just sort of bring out every now and then. It's like, okay, when God lines things up, you pause and acknowledge it. Okay, we just don't say, oh, that's a funny coincidence. I call these God sightings, okay? So the fact that you stood up here this morning thinking, really, you wore that shirt? I'm talking about fear today. And his shirt says, fear's a liar. So go ahead and tell everybody why you wore that shirt. Well, as I mentioned in the, earlier, was I went to the concert yesterday. And, you know, I'm, I was just browsing around, and my wife seen uh, some uh, little film, and she goes, hey, you know, look at that shirt. And she doesn't know what's going on in my life. I mean, personal, very personal. I don't want to scare her. Or I don't want to tell her anything that would, you know, have put fear in her. I've been living in fear for about seven, six, seven months. And everybody that knows me, I'm an outgoing person. So nobody knows what's really going inside of a lot of people out there. All right. She said, hey, look at that shirt. So I was like, you know what? Go get me one. I didn't want to go get it. She, she went to go get me one and got home at 1.45 this morning. And I'm tired. Woke up. I was like, man, should I put this shirt on? You know, should I put this shirt on? I was like, oh, it's all wrinkly. I'll take my time and I'll iron it, you know, and I guess Rex kept staring at me. I was like, is this shirt too tight on me or something? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking who irons their shirt at 145 in the morning. <laughs> but it's true, though, you know, and, and I don't buy shirts. I don't buy shirts like this. I don't buy anything like this. Or if I do, it'll be a Chicago Cubs or a Dallas Cowboys, you know, and. And if I do, I don't wear it to church at all, you know. And the, and the funny thing is I'm getting ready. My wife walks into the bathroom I'm getting ready. And, and I go, hey, does this shirt look weird with these pants? You know, and she could have said yes. And I could have took it off, right? But she said, no, it looks great. And I almost took it off. You know, and the thing about it is this stuff's not staged. You know, Jen made this. Uh, we, we have announcements. We have several guys that do announcements. And this, was, this, this schedule was done about six months ago. And the tickets were bought in November. And I'm, you know, I'm not, and I don't buy shirts. And I bought this shirt. And when he pre- preached today, it's like, I wore this shirt to finally tell people out there, I'm fighting my demon. And I'm not proud. I'm not too proud to say, hey, I'm going to do this. You know, and I'm going to wear this shirt, wear it proudly until I conquer my demon. And then that's what it was. Please take that back with you. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate it. And when I saw him, like I said, during the first service, he's up here giving announcements. I'm thinking, all right, God, this is, this is cool how he works through people in this church. And so we, let's not pass up moments, you know, um, not scripted, not anything. It's like we're, if you've never been to this church before, this is who we are. We're real. Um, this is the way it is. So with that being said, um, I, I just want to, Think back now to last week when we talked about love coming down and we talked about the grace of God. 
and how love came down in the form of a baby. And as, as we said, um, grace, it's, it's, it's undeserved. It's, it's unearned kindness and goodness and love, something that we can never get on our own. And it was shown to us, it was shown to this world, and we witnessed how God showed grace through Mary. And you think of, of Mary, this little teenage girl, you know, in the picture there, she looks like, you know, probably a little bit older, but according to biblical records, she was, could have been 13, 14 years old, as we said last week. And God chose her. She's an unlikely, undeserving candidate to have the baby Jesus Christ. But yet God showed grace and allowed her. And Joseph then showed mercy and grace to Mary by not harming her or taking his anger out on her. Um, and that's incredible. So this grace that we talked about, we're getting what we don't deserve. And that's what we look at Christmas now. Christmas is, should remind us of that grace. Getting things we do not deserve. Getting things we have not earned. Somebody gives you a present, you probably didn't have to earn it. You probably didn't have to work for it, right? Well, God gave us grace. Didn't have to earn it. Didn't, did not have to work for it. God sent his, his only son, Jesus Christ, to earth as an act of grace giving us what we did not deserve. So, as we said last week, once we've received that, what are you going to do with it now, church? We've received this incredible free gift of God. What are you doing with it? Are you showing grace to others? And it was funny because last week after the sermon was over, right away I got a text message and somebody posted something and somebody said something else. Didn't take long for us to experience grace, did it? Or for you to have to show somebody grace, did it? Uh, that was sort of the fun was people were like, all of a sudden it became real. Like, oh, maybe I'm going to treat this person this way. But then it's like, <clears throat> grace? Yes, yes, yes. And it was quickly applied. Um, but here's the thing. It wasn't meant to be just applied last Sunday. This is a lifetime gift that keeps on giving. So I want to encourage you to continue to show that grace, but also also want to move forward too in that as we love others, not just with grace, but we also want to love others with the peace of God. And it's hard to love others with peace of God when we are so fearful. Things going on in our lives. So this morning as we look into God's word and, and focus on, you know, last week was grace, this week is more peace because we need it. We need that peace. Let's, let's think about this. There are students in here that have probably been bullied, probably been picked on. Some of us have grown up been picked on. Some of us adults, you might even be facing moments now where you might be harassed in one way or another. But there's always conflict out there. Not just from maybe individual or personal bullying, but also from wars that are going on and Battles that are taking place across the world, but the battles that take place are not only outside our nation, uh, but also within our own personal selves. We have these battles that take place within us. We all experience moments of fear. We, we fear things that are, are bigger than us. We fear things that are unexpected. There's a lot of what if, right? How many of you experience the what if fear? Like, what if this? Well, what if that? What if... We probably all experience those fears, don't we? Fear of what others think. We have fears of missing out. We have fears of not being good enough. We have fears of losing someone or losing something. And so many things that we fear. And those fears produce worry and they amplify the anxiety in our life. 
And how do we handle those all? There's a, there's a youth resource called Axis. And this site reminds us that the world's not a safe place for a lot of kids. And I want to read what they wrote. They said this. There are many kids who often live each day in fear. Not just children who live in poverty or abusive situations. Even children who come from relatively stable, wealthy homes can feel this way. American teenagers have more anxiety than ever before from social, emotional, and physical instability in their daily lives. And unfortunately, the sad reality is that thanks to the internet, social media, and school shootings, they cannot find a safe place away from fear. And as I was reading that, I was like, yeah, I can, I can see that. And it's not just our kids. It's us adults. So we have to ask that question, where do we find peace? Where, where do we find those moments where, as Lupe's shirt talks about fear, right? It's a liar. Fear likes to tell us that it's going to walk with us everywhere we go and that we have no way to win over fear. How do we tell fear to be quiet and allow peace to reign in our lives? Well, love came down. Not only to bring us grace, but to bring us peace. And Jesus came to give us peace, but more importantly, peace between the Father and us. I'm going to have you look at a couple scriptures with me real quick. Romans chapter 5. So if you grab your Bibles and open up the New Testament, <clears throat> go to the book of Matt, uh, Romans, sorry, Romans chapter 5. It's right past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then you get the Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 says this, Paul goes, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, now I'm going to pause for a second again, remember, we have been separated from a holy God because our sin separates us. And God sent his son Jesus Christ to bridge that gap that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we now have a new relationship with God the Father. So since we've been made right in God's sight by our faith through Jesus Christ, it goes on to say this, we have peace with who? With God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Jesus Christ came to earth to bring us peace. First of all, peace with God, our Heavenly Father. Verse 2 says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. We do not deserve to have peace peace with God. We do not deserve it at all, but it is a position in this new place that we have because of our faith in Jesus Christ. This is where we now stand. We confidently and we joyfully look forward in sharing God's glory. We must first start there. It's like the peace that we have, first of all, begins with the peace with us and God. Before you can have peace in your life, you have to have peace with God. If you do not have peace with God, if you do not have a relationship with God, then fear will reign your life. You've got to start with the peace that comes from God between you and him. Second John chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. I'll read this to you. The scripture's on the screen. If you want to write it down and come back to it later, it starts off like this. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, will continue to be with us who live in truth and love. 
How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them live according to the truth, just as the Father commanded. I am writing to remind you, dear friends, that we should love one another. John goes, grace, peace, and mercy come from God. We now have this peaceful relationship with God. Guess what? Now we're going to go love one another. It's so hard to love people if we don't have that grace and we don't have that peace. But because we find peace with God, we are now empowered to find peace between us and other people. But again, the challenge, listen very carefully, the challenge is not to allow the emotion of fear derail us from what is true. Let me say it again. The challenge is not to allow the emotion of fear derail us From the truth. The truth of what? Of grace and peace. I want to look at some things that may cause fear in our life. We're just going to address those real quick, okay? We'll use the Christmas stories to help us. Here's the first one. The fear of things that are bigger than us. We have situations that come in our life that just seem super huge. How will we ever? Or this is really scary. Things that are bigger than us, right? How do we handle that? Well, we see, first of all, in the biblical stories here, Christmas time. That Mary, Joseph, and even the shepherds all experienced this. Mary had an angel appear to her. Again, little teenage girl, big strapping angel, appears to tell her what's going on. She is fearful. Verse 29 of Luke 1 says, Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. And he said this, Fear not. Don't be afraid, Mary. The first One of the first things that came out of the angel's mouth was for her to fear not. And then another angel appears to Joseph. Joseph, again, disturbed, not knowing what's going on. He considered that the angel of the Lord appeared to him. And the angel said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Fear not. Take Mary as your wife. That's Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. And then one of my favorites is is the shepherds. They're out in the fields at night, right? Remember the story. They're keeping watch over their flock, right? And then the angels appear to them. Again, can you just imagine, please put yourself there in realistic terms. You're out in the yard or out in the pasture field in the middle of the night and a host of angels appear. This isn't like, ooh, cool, selfie. No, this is going to be like scary. And what did the angels say? Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angels reassured them, don't be afraid. Fear not. We have big things that happen in our life, and they scare us. And multiple times God brings his presence and says, fear not. Do not be afraid. Fear not. We also have a fear of what others think. I wonder what they're thinking right now. We have a fear of missing out. I wonder if I, I wonder if I should be doing this. What if I, but if I do this, will I miss out on this? How often do we have those kind of fears? Mary had a predicament. What would Joseph think? Uh, why would the, well, boy, what would the people in town think? They hear that I'm pregnant. It wasn't Joseph. What are they thinking about me right now? What are other people thinking? What am I going to miss out on? 
I'm going to have a baby now. I'm going to miss out on some of the stuff like maybe when I was just first married and I'm not having children and I can do stuff with other, other women and there were maybe other couples. But now I'm going to be a mom. I'm going to miss out on a lot of stuff. What am I going to miss out on? Or Joseph, similar to Mary. What are people in town going to say? What are they thinking about me? I wasn't with her. But everybody's probably going to think I was. And then I'm the one. They're going to, I'm, I'm going to miss out with things that with the guys. Maybe a bunch of us guys are going to go do stuff, but now i got to stay home and take care of my wife and kid. We all have fears of what we are going to miss out on. We all have fears of what other people are thinking, right? You're not alone. You're not alone. How about this? Fear of the unexpected. Fear of losing control. Oh, heaven forbid we lose control. Some of us in here are control freaks. We've got to be in charge of everything. If one little thing goes out of order, right? Oh, no. Right? Oh, go back to Mary and Joseph again. Consider what Mary and Joseph didn't know what to expect in having a child. They weren't even thinking about having children. Next, you know, we're going to have a child. What to expect when you're expecting? Do you think Mary picked that up and started reading? Oh, what to expect when you're expecting? Didn't have that book back then. She didn't know what to expect, let alone she's having the Son of God. Do I spank him? Am I allowed to... Is, do I put him in timeout? He's eternal. There is no time. So what does that mean? There's all kinds of these things that are going on around. I have no idea what to expect. Or where are we going to have the baby? Who's going to... What? There's so much that was out of their control. And then there's Herod. Matthew chapter 2. We don't talk much about Herod, but he wanted no competition as a king. And when those wise men came to him and said... We're here to see the king. Oh, King Herod's like, I am the king. We, well, Herod did not want to lose control of his kingdom. Oh, there's, there, oh, you just go find that little baby king and you come back and tell me all about him because I want to worship him too. Hashtag liar, right? My boys had told me never to use hashtag in a sermon, but I just did, sorry. <laughs> he feared not having power and control, but he wanted that power and control, Right? But how many of us have those same kind of fears? Read through the Bible stories of the, of the Christmas time and you'll see a lot of these fears being exhibited. But here's one of my favorite. Fear of not being good enough. Many fears addressed in the Christmas story, but this is a fear that moves beyond the Christmas story. A few, uh, or I should say maybe a few, many of us deal with this every day. It's a fear that some of us have and have not been able to get rid of. We can't shake it. I'm just never good enough for anybody, am I? Let alone for God. A holy God has forgiven me. Are you, are you kidding me? I, I, don't, I don't know. Because I'm not a good enough person, so how can God forgive me even though I've asked for forgiveness of my sins? Really, I've, I, keep, I keep messing up. I keep screwing up. My sins are so bad, I'm, I'm sure he's not forgiven all of them. Or, okay, God's forgiven me of my sins, but I'm not good enough to serve in the church. Uh, you don't know what I've done, and you don't know what I'm still struggling with, so I probably shouldn't teach Sunday school. I probably shouldn't volunteer. I probably shouldn't greet people because of my sinful past. I'm not good enough to serve in this church. I'm not good enough to go to a Bible study. We disqualify ourselves because of our past, our shortcomings, our mistakes. 
And we say, look what I did. Look what happened to me. And God said, I know. You've asked for forgiveness and I forgave you. You're forgiven. You're good enough with me right now because of what my son did for you. But some of us, it doesn't work, right? We have a fear. We have this fear. We've gotten so used to it that fear has become reality. And we need to learn to say, fear, you're a liar. You do not belong here. I need truth. The truth is, the truth is, God gives us peace from all of this. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to read in here in, in Matthew chapter 1. And, and, and as we read this, this may... You're probably going to be like, okay, Rex, we were hoping for this really fun sermon and, and this really cool sermon where you're telling a lot of funny stories and, and it might not go that direction. So just hold on and just bear with me, okay? Because it's not about all that. What I want to do is I want to go through what Matthew did in writing his book because here's what Matthew, you think about this, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're going to write the Gospels, the good news about Jesus Christ. Okay, which is super exciting. People say, well, you're a Christian, right? What do Christians believe? We follow Jesus Christ. So where do, should we start reading in the Bible? How about the Gospels? Because that's who we worship, Jesus Christ. So let's read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right. So I'm going to open up the book of Matthew. I'm all fired up because Matthew, I mean, he's going to write about the most important story ever, the most important person uh, historically that ever came to this earth and walked this planet, Jesus Christ, right? So how does Matthew start the story? I mean, if this was Star Wars, we'd have some powerful, you know, like uh, symphony music playing with some words scrolling. Dun, dun, you know, and we're like excited, right? Or this was James Bond or Mission Impossible. We'd have cars blowing up and people chasing each other and the adrenaline's flowing at the very beginning of the movie to draw you in, right? Or if this was a Disney movie, it'd be one of those once upon a time feelings. It's like, oh, this is going to be good. So Matthew, Matthew, how do you start the most important story? So let's read Matthew chapter 1. This, this is the record of ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. A descendant of King David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, the mother of Tamar. And Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of... Yeah, uh, where was I? Um, Sam, the father of Boaz, his mother was Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, and then mother Ruth, and Obed, the mother of Jesse, Jesse, Jesse. Hey, I remember that Jesse James uh, character. Oh, yeah, okay, Jesse, the father of King. Okay, I'm sorry. Has anybody ever read the genealogy before and is like just drifted? I mean, it's like, you told me to read the book of Matthew about Jesus, and is this what the whole Bible's like? Are you kidding me? Give me a break. I can't pronounce half these names. Wait, Jehoshaphat. Jumping Jehoshaphat. Is that the jumping Jehoshaphat that people talk about? Verse 8. We get lost in this, right? I get lost in it. And But here's the thing. So we got to stop for a moment, okay? Because it's so easy just to, just, to, just to miss this. This is part of the Christmas, Christmas story we're not going to read. Let's get to the good stuff. Matthew chapter, right? Matthew... Let's us know immediately, people, this is not a fairy tale. This has not been fabricated or made up. It happened. We're going to start with historical document. This is not a story of 
well, this shows us how to be an example to mankind by. No. This is an actual account. It happened. This isn't a storytelling you what you should do, but it's a story of what God has done for you and I. The birth of the Son of God into the world is, is good news. It's, it's an announcement. And of course, with a great announcement, there's a response. But again, this isn't about self-improvement or inspiration or guidance for life. This is about a historical account of an announcement, news. This Christmas story is good news. News is historical document, evidence, factual happening. So that's how Matthew begins, and he doesn't get caught up in all this other hoopla. We need to understand that as he's doing this, there's, there's reason behind it. In Eastern culture is different than the Western civilization. And why they would start off with that, we may not fully understand, but I'll get to it in a second. But what I want you to know is as we read this genealogy, at least part of it, okay, there's a couple things that we discover here in Matthew. First of all, we're going to realize that God alleviates our fear of being good enough. Remember, that's one of our biggest fears. Am I good enough? Athletes struggle with this every day at practice, at every competition. Was I good enough for my coach? Was I good enough for my parents? Was my, my, my mom and dad going to talk to me on the drive home about what I didn't do? Oh, I wonder if I was good enough that I get to go get a milkshake or an ice cream cone. I wonder if I get sprinkles this time on my ice cream cone. Was I good enough for sprinkles, mom and dad? Right? Kids feel this with their grades at school. Employees feel this with their bosses. Was my, was my project good enough? Did I, did I accomplish enough for you, boss? We never measure up, do we? We're never good enough for those around. And if you put yourself on social media, you always compare yourself to somebody else. Look where they went. I'm never good enough like that for them, right? If we can't be good enough for those around us, how can we be good enough for God? Matthew's going to help us with that one. Second, he alleviates our fear from all the things of will things be okay? What's coming down the road? Life is out of control. We have, remember, the what ifs? What if? What if this happens? What if that happens? We worry, we stress, we sit at home, and we keep wondering, what if? Two weeks ago, we had the really, remember the really heavy fog we had? I think it actually was last week. It was super foggy, and it stretched all the way into Indiana. And not that I'm a worrisome father, but I did pull out my phone and check my phone tracker to see where Colin and Carter were. Yep, they're not on campus. They're driving around. They're in Fort Wayne, 45 minutes from campus. Sons, it is super foggy out here. I know it is super foggy there. Please be careful. All caps, right? About a half hour later, I get a phone call from one of my sons. Hey, Dad, I got a problem. This is why you don't drive in the fog is what I wanted to say, right? What's the matter? Uh, well, I put the window down, and it won't go back up. So I'm, you're in, and where are you? I knew where he was, phone tracker. Um, Fort Wayne, oh, 45 minutes from campus, and your window is stuck down. It's 30 degrees outside, and you're driving through fog. This is why you stay home. Anyway, um, what do I do, Dad? Well, I'm not there. Could be the switch is faulty. Could be a fuse. Could be, have you tried? Yep. Have you tried this? Have you tried? Yep, yep, yep. 
Well, looks like you're going to have to either wrap it up with some plastic or something. He chose saran wrap. All right. Got himself back to campus, but in the back of my mind, it's the what ifs, what ifs, right? Matthew's going to help alleviate some of that control issue, right? So let's look at, at how Matthew does this. Genealogy, right, represents in Eastern culture authority. It represented cultural rights, your rights and your background. See, we live in this individualistic culture right now where if I'm applying for a job, I, I do a resume. Here's my educational background. Here's my past experience. And here is all my achievements. There's my resume. Hire me. Now, Eastern culture would be like this. Here's my family tree. Hire me. Oh, your father is Leighton. He was an honest man and a hard worker. I'd like to hire you. So they didn't, they didn't look at my achievements. They looked at my family in the Eastern culture. When you look at this genealogy then, we have to understand that this was a very communal, very family-oriented society. Ancestry, clan, family, who you're connected to mattered. So Matthew's saying, look at the connection. Look at the family. There's your resume. This is, when you pull out your genealogy, you're saying, this is who I am. Not all your certificates and awards and trophies. So when you presented your genealogy, you're showing your, your high qualities, your respectability, right? Which means you're also probably going to leave out some of your bad family members' names, right? Cousin Jimmy or Uncle Fred, you know, like, you know what they did? We're going to leave them out of the genealogy because we don't want anybody to know. Would that make sense? But check out what Matthew does. He leaves those people in the genealogy. Matthew lists five women in his genealogy. And some of you ladies are like, ah, yeah. Listen, in ancient patriarchal societies, okay, a woman was virtually never listed in a genealogy. Never listed, let alone five of them, which Matthew does. And to top it off, these ladies were Gentiles. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, they were Canaanites and the Moabites. And to the Jews, they were unclean. They couldn't go to the temple or the tabernacle to worship. They were outsiders, yet Matthew listed them in here. We also know there's more shocking, as you read some of these, there are concerns that Matthew's like, Matthew, why did you put this in here? They're pretty immoral. Look at verse, uh, verse 3. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Their mother was Tamar. Whoa, 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 Tamar, wait, 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 remember her? She tricked her father-in-law, Judah, this is gross, into sleeping her, which is an act of incest, definitely an act against the law of God. And Matthew includes Judah and, and Tamar in here, as well as Perez and Zerah, to bring out the whole dysfunctional family right here. I'm sorry, I would have left them out of my family tree, right? Matthew doesn't. Oh, read on, verse 5. Verse 5 says, uh, Samuel was the father of Boaz. His mother was Rahab. Oh, are we going to bring up Rahab? You remember her? She was a prostitute. Oh, that's in Jesus' family tree? Really? Enough said. Not going to go to that one. Okay, look at verse 6. Jesus was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon. His mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Oh, you had to throw that one in there too, right? You guys maybe remember that story of David and Bathsheba. David looks over, sees Bathsheba taking a bath outside. He just like just lusts after her. He calls her in, sleeps with her. She's married. 
Uriah's out fighting. Uriah is one of David's strong men. I mean, Uriah would die for King David. They were friends. They, there, was this, there was a bond there, and, but yet David lusted after his wife and then eventually had Uriah killed and murdered out while he was fighting in battle. And that's listed in here. Another dysfunctional family. And when we read this list, we see the moral deficiencies. We, we see the moral failures and the cultural and the, and the racial outsiders. And what we're seeing here is that those who are excluded by culture, by respected society, and even the law of God, even those people can be brought into the family of God. So let us not ever sit around and judge people like, oh, look at them. God wants to bring everybody into the family. We can also notice about David, though. He was a king. He had power. He had credentials. He was a, you know, this man, this Jewish royalty. But he was only in the family by the grace of God. His evil deeds were worse than anything probably done by all these women in history that are listed, right? But there he is listed. Again, by the grace of God, we see David here. So the prostitute, the king, the male, the female, Jew, Gentile, one race or another, moral, immoral, all are equals because they're equally sinful and lost. And God equally loves them and wants them to be part of his kingdom. God's not ashamed to reach out and call them family. And I I believe in in enlisting this genealogy. God is uh, alleviating our fear. He's he's removing that. He says, listen, I, I know I know you don't feel you're good enough right now. Take a look at my family tree. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, my past, my current life is not good enough for God, God says, I can forgive you. And if you've asked for forgiveness, I have forgiven you. Would you look at the family tree? Look who I listed there. You think you're not perfect? Point to somebody on that list that is. Point them out to me, would you? We can't. Then I believe that God alleviates our our fear of, will things be okay? He does this by keeping his promises. Go back to verse 1. When we're reading here in Matthew chapter 1, it says, This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. Understand this. Jesus was a common first name used in biblical times. You'd see Jesus' name used throughout But it was the title that came after, Jesus Christ. Christ is the title. Jesus is the name. Messiah is also a title. It's Christos in in Greek. It's It's Mashiach in Hebrew, meaning Messiah. Both mean the anointed one. In the Hebrew scripture, there was other anointed ones. There was kings, there was leaders. But there was only one, capital A, capital O, anointed one. The one that we look forward to, the coming, the Messiah that would save us from our sins. And that he would come through the line of David. Oh, there's that David again, that connection that we read about, right? Here's what I want to show you. And and, and I'm going to zip through this as I was reading in this and listening to other theologians talk about this. It's pretty fascinating. It's like this big and bigger, and I'm going to try to do this to it real quick, so, so hang with me. But here's what I want you to hear. We, we know from the Old Testament about David. I just shared part of you, part of his story with you, right? Yet, despite his past, God 
forgave David, and it was through this uh, Davidic covenant that the Messiah was going to come through the line of David. Now, there's Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 11, 13. It says that God made a promise to David that from his son Solomon there'd be a future descendant, the Messiah. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and 7, which we remember that verse, for unto us a child is born, that verse. In that passage as well, we talk about a prince of peace, the shalom, this, this descendant would come. And then in the book of Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And his dream has this big statue for these different kingdoms that are built up. And there's this big rock that comes down and crushes this statue. And that rock is the eternal kingdom of God that's talked about. And again, those references in 2 Samuel, Isaiah, and Daniel all point to what was being said about the lineage of David. From David, all these things would take place. Matthew is basically mentioning what was prophesied. Again, when Matthew wrote this, he had the Old Testament to work with. He looked through the lineage of what was going on with David, what was promised, what was prophesied, and then what took place. And he breaks down, actually, if you look at the genealogies, you look at verses 1 through 16, and they're actually broken into three different groups. There's... They're in the groups of 14. The first 14 is from Abraham to David. The second 14 is David to the exile. From the exile to, um, to the Messiah then is the last 14. Three sections of 14. And again, different people are looking at it saying, well, this is what you get from this. And it can get into a very deep study of understanding what's the, all this numerical numbering and why. Three 14s. Again, from Eastern perspective, that's how you shared or showed a point to establish something. No one is added. There are a few that are not listed, but only what is needed is shown. Again, done in a historical recording so we can look at this. Some say when you look at those three sections, the three sections of 14, that's 7 plus 7 is 14. 7 plus 7 is 14. 7 plus 7 is 14. There are six sevens. But where's the seventh seven? The seventh seven is what? Perfection, right? Six days God created the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day he rested. And then we also know this throughout Scripture that on the Sabbath we were supposed to rest. But then God said, I also want you to do the same with your lands. So farmers, you're going to farm your fields for six years. And on the seventh year, do not work your fields. Just let them lay rest. And as we look through the scripture and we learn in all these things, then somebody points out saying, and that is why this 7-7, when Christ was going to be born, that was the beginning of the 7-7. 14, 14, 14. The next set is when Jesus was born. He will bring rest to our world. Interesting, right? Again, what people are saying. Here's another one. Um, there's, a, there's another thing called gematria, which is basically the assigning of numerical value to letters. Uh, to derive meaning from words or names or phrases. So the Hebrew language, as well as some other foreign languages, would use this sort of uh, style uh, of assigning numerical value. So when you look at the name David, in Hebrew, the vowels are not listed. So you'd have the D, V, and the D is what, you would, is what we would say. Okay? And the D is equal to 4, V is equal to 6, and the other D is equal to 4, which equals 14. Again, Looking at this list of 14s, 14s, and 14s, his name is 14, and there's actually 15 kings listed in here, 
But all 14 did not have the name king in front of them. Only David had his name king in front of him. Now, again, why am I sharing all this? Some of you are like, just share something funny because I'm losing you right now, Rex, okay? Okay, well, here's the deal. Here's why I'm sharing all this with you. When we look at the Bible, people think, oh, you've got to have such simple faith. The Bible is deep. There's incredible meaning with history, and I'm only scratching the surface. And what I'm telling you is all of the Old Testament that builds up all the prophecies, all the promises, Matthew comes up and says, and they all came true through the birth of Jesus Christ. So your what-ifs, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if, what if, what if, what if? Do you trust a God who fulfills his promises? Absolutely. All these things that he talked about, all the things he promised have come true. And that's what we've discovered here in this genealogy is the fact that this came true. If my God, if your God keeps his promises, and I've discovered that here, do you think he can take care of our what-ifs? Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you trust a God who does amazing things? Yes. But you can especially trust a God who does what he says, keeping his promises, keeping his covenant that he did. He promised with David. He promised with Abraham before that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they're coming forward, I want you to hear this. Love came down. With his presence, he gives us peace. He alleviates us from all these fears. The stories that we read at Christmas time help us. The fears of losing control, the fears of missing out, the fears of what if, all these fears, especially the fear of, am I good enough? Are wiped out with the Christmas story. His peace is available to us. As we experience the peace of God, we're able to have peace with each other. Before the worship team leads us in our last song, take your Bibles, go to 1 John. It's towards the back of the Bible. 1 John chapter 4. We'll close with this passage. 1 John chapter 4. I want to read to you starting in verse 13. Church, listen very carefully to these words. God's given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and we now testify that the father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of the world. All who proclaim that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us. We put our trust in him. God is love and all who live in love Live in God, and God lives in them. Verse 17. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on that day of judgment. But we can face Him with confidence because we are like Christ here in this world. Now, listen very carefully. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Now, I don't know if you remember what Lupe's shirt said. Fear's a liar, right? Could you read his sleeve that he, he had on his sleeve? 1 John 4.18. Let me read this to you. 1 John 4.18 says this. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels, drives out forcefully. It casts it out. All fear. If we're afraid, 
is for fear of judgment. And this shows that his love has not been perfected in us. We love each other as a result of his loving us first. If someone says, I love God but hates other Christians, that person's a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we have not seen? And God himself has commanded that we must love not only him, but our Christian brothers and sisters too. Church, listen, love came down, cast out all fear. Your what ifs, your am I good enough, the the fears that you have, the fears that I have, love has cast those out, driven them out forcefully and given us his love. So when fear starts yapping in your ear, just tell it to be quiet. It's just lying. Do not let that emotion derail you from the truth. God is love. His love came down. And for those of us who are in Jesus Christ, you are filled with his love, not fear. Which allows you and I to now live a life of love and peace and not have to worry about fear. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. That we can worship you with truth. We can worship you with love. God, some of us in this room right now might be experiencing some fear. God, we ask that you remove that fear. Whoever that is right now, wherever they're standing, they just pray right now. God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my past. I know I've done wrong. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. Take those away. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, to pay for those sins. I love you, Lord. Help me to live for you now. Remove this fear that I have. Replace it with your love. Because your love is perfect. It casts out all fear. Allow me, Lord, to live in peace today, tomorrow, and to share that same peace with my family, with my friends. Help me to walk in peace. When fear starts whispering, God, help me to tell that emotion just to get out. Help me to stand on what is true, for love casts out all fear. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, for forgiving us and giving us new life in you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.